Dumbassery. I haven't jerked off in like a week. I just don't have the energy right now. I was in bed last night. I pulled out my phone. I was feeling redhead. I fell asleep before I even got my pants off. Woke up, the videos were still auto-playing. Like, even when I discovered masturbating, like, you know, 12 maybe, I don't think I did it more than once a day. I mean, maybe right, like, in the beginning, you know, because I was like, whoa. But after the initial, initial glow wore off, I don't think I've ever been, like, a super masturbator. Some of these guys that say they jerk off, like, three and four times a day, I don't know how they do it. I mean, I respect it. I respect the hustle. If I put, if I put the effort into, like, learning an instrument that some dudes put into jerking off, I'd be Beethoven. Like, for some dudes, jerking off is their pastime. You know, like baseball for America. That's their, that's their special thing. They got jerk-off rituals. Jerk-off rituals, I think everybody's got jerk-off rituals. But <laughs> I noticed that, like, at least mine, always get more elaborate the longer I've been single. Like, I'm single for a month, I'm jerking off. Right? I'm single for three months. You know, I'm going to watch Survivor. Then I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to get four Kleenex, specifically four, four Kleenex. Dim the lights, go to town. Single for a year, I'm spinning a wheel to decide which OnlyFans girl I'm going with for that night. Put some cologne on. Make myself a nice Italian dinner. I gotta imagine, like, if you've been single for decades. Like, there's dudes out there that have been, you know, single for, you know, 30 years, 20 years. At some point, you just gotta give up. I, I know I would. I'd just stop jerking off. I'd get bored. You get tired of it. Take up a hobby instead. Woodworking, maybe? Maybe it's just me, but sometimes I'll, I'll literally give up in the middle of jerking off because of how many options there are. Just straight up options. Like, I get, I literally get decision paralysis when I'm watching porn sometimes. It's incredible how much porn there is. Personally, like, I'll never pay for porn. Ever. There's so much free porn out there, man. And, like, okay, if you're into something super, like, weird and shit, like, balloons, clowns, or, you know, something, something, something freaky, then fine, pay for it, I guess. I mean, you gotta find, you gotta find specific creators of content. But for the average person, man, it's just, like, there's enough porn to last. I mean, if you put, if you laid out, like, every piece of porn on the internet, right, in a row, like, in terms of time, it would have to stretch back to the dinosaur age. Or farther. I mean, am I, am I, am I being stupid in saying that? How long ago were the dinosaurs here? 100 million years ago? Is there a 100 million years worth of porn on the internet? I think so. I think so. You can't catch me. I'm, I'm too Jewy to pay for something that there's a 100 million years worth of for free. That said, these OnlyFans girls, man, are, are in their bag. I mean, of course, you know, much like with like rappers, SoundCloud guys, you know, you see the successful ones. You don't see the millions of unsuccessful ones. But there's never been there's never been uh, easier access to selling your pussy, and uh, it's it's the free market, I guess. I mean, people obviously like paying for it. I mean, people got to people have disposable income, and I mean, I guess you know, you might as well spend it on your your uh, your favorite the, the 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 lady of the internet. Is that an acceptable term, lady of the internet?
There's some weird fetishes out there, man. Um, it makes you realize, like, it makes you realize how normal you are in the grand scheme of things. Apparently, there's a fetish where, like, speaking of, of money, there's a fetish called financial domination. Have you heard about this? It's, I mean, it's the funniest fucking thing. It's like girls that have just figured out to cut out the middleman. It's this fetish where, where, where guys like being, I don't know, extorted and drained financially. The girls just don't have to do anything but take their money. And it's, it's like, talk about getting to the point of, of your profession. Why is any woman in porn not in the financial domination fetish? That should be the only fetish that exists for in, in porn. Why is why is any woman out here, uh, you know, fucking? Why is any woman out here, you know, doing uh, BDSM? They should all be doing financial domination. That's uh, apparently where the money is. What is that psychological? I mean, the human brain is so fucking complex. What it? What is? What it? What is it deep in the mind of of, of a dude? Where he's like, yeah, dude, it gets me hard when girls just take. My entire salary. Just all of my money. Just my savings accounts. My, my kids' college funds. That, that gets me hard. People are fucking weird, man. Dumbassery. You know what? I just googled it. And apparently financial domination is apparently part of BDSM. It's like a sub-sect of BDSM. Which I guess makes sense. But I always thought BDSM was just like... You know, the whips and... I don't know, vanilla. I don't know about sub-fetishes. I love this. This is straight off the Wikipedia. <laughs> so, the submissive, in this case, is called the Cash Piggy, Human ATM, Money Slave, or Pay Pig. And the Financial Dominant is the Goddess, Mommy Dom, Money Mistress, or Cash Master. You're the Pay Pig, and I'm the Cash Master. The cash master? What the fuck, dude? God, that's fucking... Oh my god, come here, you little pay pig. I'm the cash master. What happens when you run out of money? What happens when the money's gone? I mean, I can't imagine, like... It's exclusively billionaires in this club. Like, let's say a dude makes a hundred grand a year. That's good money, right? But, like... If you got, uh, uh, uh... Your mommy Dom... Taking taking the, the, the change out of your, your pay pig wallet, your pay pig account, that can't last that long, and then you're fucking and then and then what? And then what? If like if if you're super into financial domination, what if you're poor? There there's a minority group we don't talk about. Dudes into financial domination that have no money. Where's the benefit for those guys? Can you imagine like broaching that to your girlfriend or something that you're into that? Hey, honey, um, come here for a second. So we've been together for a while now, and, uh, you know how, like, I'll buy you nice gifts and, and stuff? Well, you see, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a pay pig, and I need you to be my cash master. Oh, my God, dude, I'm lightheaded. Holy shit, that's fucking funny. You know, there's that sex positivity shit where it's like, be accepting of people's kinks. No, I I refuse to accept this. I ref, I refuse to accept. I no, I I refuse. I refuse to accept that that this that this should exist. Look, maybe I'm just too human. But 
I would feel bad, not only for, you know, essentially stealing people's money, but for making such easy money. I mean, maybe I'm old school, but if I'm going to earn money, I want to earn it, right? I don't want to steal it from some fucking sap. My guess is that our, our, our mommy dom cash masters here would say that it's not easy work and that it takes it takes uh, effort and skill to drain people of their money. But but I would say I bet you it's easier than any real job. Dumbassery. Lord help me, I am continuing the watch of Dr. Phil's Paramount Plus show, House Calls with Dr. Phil. Last week we reviewed the first episode. This week, uh, I, I just... I, 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 I'm skipping to episode five. I just the the, the episode two and three and four are just they're just I don't know, man. There's nothing to say about them. It, at least this one has some sort of like entertainment value, I guess. <laughs> what the fucking? I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, man. I really tried. I I tried. The basis of the show is that there's a dysfunctional family, and one person calls in Doctor Phil. And they're the only person that knows that Dr. Phil is watching them or something until he walks in. Um, this specific episode, there's this family. Uh, the father is this guy, Mark, and he runs this discount furniture store. And everybody in the family works in the discount furniture store. And one of the employees is his best friend, who also used to be his current wife's husband, if that makes sense. And there's like a bunch of kids in the mix. They're all adults. It's, it's fucking weird. Knock, knock. Can I come in? Oh, my goodness. Dr. Phil. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I reference you. Anytime I do something, I'm like, what would Dr. Phil think about what I just said? <laughs> how are you doing? How are you doing, Blake? I had to do a double take. I was like, is that Dr. Phil? Dr. Oh, Phil, yeah. how are oh, you? Dr. Phil. One thing I have noticed is that in every episode, there's like this mandatory 30-second Dr. Phil suck-off when he enters the room. Oh my god, it's Dr. Phil. Phil, sir. Oh my god, Dr. Phil. Oh, oh god, Dr. Phil. Oh my god, he's here. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, oh. Like, you know, Dr. Phil is just in the editing room jerking himself off to these, <laughs> to these fucking idiots praising him. I gave him a knuckle bump, so I was like, yes! Alright, so his first move is to bring out this TV monitor and they watch back an interview uh, that one of the sad daughters did like the day before. When my mom met Mark and I lived with my mom, it was late at night. Mark told her that he didn't want to raise a child that wasn't his. And the next day, I went to live with my dad. Do you remember that conversation? I do remember him saying that he didn't want her around. That's not what I said. She heard it exactly right. I am not their father, and it is not my responsibility to raise them because they have a father. Are you aware of the impact it's had on her? There's no excuse. No excuse to pick him over my child. 
So we're right into the drama here. But the impact is lessened if you watch it because all of this is going down in a circle in the middle of their discount furniture store. Like, it's the middle of the day. <laughs> People are looking at the windows like, Sir, are you... Hello, sir, are you open? I can see... Sir, I'd like to buy a reasonably priced couch. Everybody line up right here, shoulder to shoulder, facing him. All right, now uh, they're going to play, like, some sort of game to address their feelings, and Dr. Phil introduces it in the creepiest way possible. Come over here, big boy. <laughs> you know, Dr. Phil said that to me, bro. I'm throwing hands. I'm going to ask him questions, and as he answers, if it makes you feel better about him, take a step forward. In my heart, I truly believe that God gave me a gift that I was able to provide and create opportunities for others. I constantly talk about being the best you can be. Be a leader, don't be a follower. I was put on this earth to follow the American dream, alienate my family, and sell futons. What are you not hearing from him to say, hey, this guy, he gets it. To me, what comes to mind is accountability. He still is not comprehending what we're all trying to say. You think you are always constantly right, and you have you give no room for anything in between. Guilty. Guilty. Yeah, this guy, Mark, has like a tremendous old queen vibe that uh, I'm picking up on. And this best friend, they don't really go into the relationship that him and his best friend have, but bro, I'm feeling like like this is more than a, a, a friendship. This is a fuck ship. And they're the captains. That was the worst joke I ever made, I think, right there. This is a fuck ship and they're the captains. <laughs> uh. How is everybody? Good, how are you today? I'm all right. Did you guys visit among yourselves last night? No, no. Had any conversation with Mark? Yeah, he wrote me a letter. Yeah, so now it's the next day. And uh, in a Blue's Clues twist, Dr. Phil has a letter. I'm reaching out for advice on what to do to get some obvious needed help. Well, welcome to the party, Mark. Is this sincere or is this just gaslighting manipulation? I don't know. I'm going to arrange for him to have some teletherapy with a high-level professional through a company called Doctor On Demand. Got to get that plug-in. Got to get that that sponsor ad money. Um, I will say, like, I mean, bravo to Dr. Phil. I mean, maybe doing the, the one thing that he should always be doing is recommending uh, people therapy instead of uh, literally everything else that he does, ever. So I think <laughs> you guys should just get on and let's go for a ride. What do you think? And we'll just go take a little ride over the mountains. He's never getting me off this thing. Hop on. <laughs> okay, that needs context. I love that without context. I'd love to leave it there. Um, so, Dr. Phil, the finale here is he takes um, some of the family, and uh, I guess it's like a cleansing, reborn, I don't know, type type deal. He flies them in like a jet over mountains, and like, how much how much did that cost? What kind of budget did this show have? I mean, it's obvious the show had no fucking budget because the... 90% of the episode was them in a in, in the discount furniture store. I guess they blew the entire budget on this uh, plane ride. Uh, slick move, Phil. Slick move.
Oh my gosh, it's so cool! Okay, this is Dr. Phil, your pilot speaking. Please take your seats. We're getting ready to launch this rocket. Dumbassery. The hate bracket. Inspired by the question, is there anyone worse than Dr. Phil? Last week, the number one seed Hitler beat out the number eight seed K-Fed, Kevin Federline, in a tough matchup. Uh, this week's matchup, the number four seed Mel Gibson versus the number five seed White Women on Twitter. Winner of this matchup will go on to face Hitler uh, in the next round. Of course, the other matchups, we've got uh, the number three seed Taylor Swift versus the number six seed Max, the kid who punched me in the stomach on the playground in second grade. And we've got the second seed Steve Jobs versus the number seven seed Edward Bernays, the father of public relations. Uh, this is a tough matchup today, man. Mel Gibson versus the white women of Twitter. Mel Gibson. You know, I'm not one to write someone off totally, you know, after they say or do something questionable. I mean, especially if it's a joke or there's context to it. Um, but the difference with a guy like Mel Gibson is he said something when he was drunk. And alcohol is truth serum, pal. Let's look at the let's look at the night in question. So Mel Gibson is driving uh, through the mean streets of Malibu, drunk off his ass. And first of all, how, how are there not more harsher penalties for drunk driving in this country? To me, drunk driving is one of the most despicable, ridiculous things you can do uh, as, as, a, as, a, as an adult. And for whatever reason, we don't seem to prosecute it as such. I mean, certainly if you've got the money Mel Gibson has, you're not, you're not going to see a day in jail for it. But to be driving these steel uh, death machines, you know, off a bunch of four locos or I assume with uh, Mel Gibson, anything uh, not made um, in the Middle East, he'd be drinking. It, it's, it's incredible to me how, how, how there's such leniency even fucking today with it. Um, but he was driving drunk, uh, down, down Malibu, he gets stopped, and, uh, I love this because it's apropos of nothing. If you, if you ever go back and listen to the tapes or read the transcripts, uh, he's just drunk standing there about to be arrested and he goes, Jews are responsible for all the wars in the world. And then he looks at the cop and says, are you a Jew? He was a Jew. He was a Jew, the cop. Uh, but, like, <laughs> it's just, it's just like, I mean, you're just standing there. I mean, obviously, listen, people that hate Jews are looking for a scapegoat. And I guess in that moment, in his, in his drug-addled brain, he was looking for a, a, a scapegoat. And all he could think of was the Jews. And he was like, I, why am I being arrested right now? Ah, it's the, it's the Jews. It's not the fact that I'm a drunk piece of shit. It's the Jews. So let me go off on them. Let me go off on them right now. Because obviously I'm a sound decision maker. The secondary problem is that this is after Passion of the Christ. So there's maybe some plausible deniability, right? When he made Passion of the Christ, well, let's tell the story. Uh, yes, he's being provocative, but he's not necessarily being anti-Semitic. Uh, but this kind of 
this 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 kind of seals it. I mean, no, I mean, it's just funny. And of course, uh, he he's blaming uh, the Jews for all the wars in the world when when other anti-Semites would say that Jews control Hollywood, and he's done quite well in Hollywood. So uh, it's funny. Different anti-Semites have different uh, takes on how Jews are ruining the world. But uh, listen, if if Jews um, indeed run the world and run Hollywood, then they must like Mel. They must like you on on some on some level. But but I think overall, uh, he's he's kind of a he's kind of a dope. Uh, his father, uh, Hutton Gibson, was too. And I think this is this is true of. Um, racist, this is true of a lot of, this is true of a lot of bigots that, uh, I mean, obviously it's got to come from somewhere and usually, uh, it's just in the family. Uh, this is from forward.com. Uh, it's a timeline of, of Mel Gibson's, um, Jew hating. And, uh, it notes that Mel Gibson is born to a World War II vet, uh, a Catholic fundamentalist who believed that the Second Vatican Council, which modernized the church, uh, was a Masonic plot backed by Jews. Decades later, in the lead-up to the release of The Passion of the Christ, uh, Hutton is interviewed by radio host Steve Feuerstein and claims that most of the Holocaust was fiction, that Holocaust museums are a gimmick to collect money, and that there were more Jews in Europe after World War II than before. So the Gibson clan, real intellectuals, a lot of them. I love that. It's a gimmick to collect money. This is something that always fascinates me. Like, okay, so the Jews love money, right? That's that's the that's the that's the deal here. As if what Greeks Greek people don't like money, Italians don't like money, Canadians don't like money. I mean, what, what do we? Everybody is obsessed with money. The entire world revolves around money. Jews are not exclusive to that club. Jews are not exclusive to that club. And I guarantee you Mel Gibson uh, only came back and did Lethal Weapon 4 because uh, he had to pay off his gambling debts and they, and they paid him well. Fuck Mel Gibson. Dumbassery. But, you know, overall, it, it is hard for me to write people off. You know, it's it's... There's a lot of nuance in a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of gray areas. But you know who doesn't have a problem writing people off? You know who doesn't see nuance? It's the people of Twitter. Specifically, uh, my favorite subsect of Twitter users, white women. We live in this interesting time where these, these groups of, I guess, supposed ultra-moralists, you know, who are really anything but have this incredible power of assembly, and and they use it to jerk themselves off relentlessly, and it's a win for them whenever they can kind of push their echo chamber into everyday consciousness. And, like, these, these defenders of righteousness, right, they use their guise of good to kind of enforce these rigid and unrealistic life criteria on the rest of us. And as we found out, I mean, it works, right? Corporations, universities, whatever. It's as simple as they don't want to be canceled, right? They don't want to be the next ones. I mean, the power of these scorned Twitter oddballs has turned the flaming ball of chaos that is life into a rotating flaming ball of chaos with knives sticking out of it. You know, like in, in, in entertainment and in politics and whatever. Uh, Bill Burr, if you remember, uh, had that great monologue on Saturday Night Live, like late 2020, 
where he kind of went at this uh, a little bit. And he threw some, I mean, they weren't even particularly vicious uh, shots at, you know, Twitter and white women kind of overtaking and co-opting, you know, wokeism. Uh, one of his lines was, uh, women swung their Gucci-booted feet over the fence of oppression and stuck themselves at the front of the line. Generals all over the world should be studying this. And it's, like, to me, the best part wasn't even the monologue. It was the the flood of tweets that came in afterwards, just dripping in irony. You know, the very people that he's talking about just not getting the point. Just... And, 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 then, and the thing is, like, if you, if you even Google Bill Burr SNL monologue now, I mean, every article is like, monologue causes fierce backlash. Monologue splits audience. Shit like that. And But if you notice, I mean, the people writing these pieces generally are uh, women in their 20s, 30s, early 40s. Was there a lot of backlash or was there backlash from the internet, which is not real life? I think that's the, the piece that we have to look at is I think most people got it on some level, you know. Very few didn't, but... Uh, the very few are very loud. So, uh, if you're putting him up against Mel Gibson, uh, I mean, Mel Gibson is, is a very, very uh, dopey guy. But uh, Twitter has a lot of dopey uh, women, and there's a lot of them, and only one of Mel Gibson. And look, Lethal Weapon 3 wasn't that bad. So, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say that white women on Twitter pull this out, and they'll go on to face, in the next round, Hitler. <laughs> Be a good matchup. Dumbassery. Hey, dumbass, thanks so much for listening. Uh, new show next week. And now here's some royalty-free music because I have no budget.